we'd like to welcome you today to Tuesday Church. So glad that you're here tuning in wherever you are. I hope that you had a fantastic Labor Day. And uh, we're looking forward to getting back into the groove of things and get things going as September is upon us. Well, in his autobiography, Just As I Am, Billy Graham tells a story about meeting with different presidents. And one of the presidents that he talks about meeting was John F. Kennedy shortly after Kennedy's inauguration. He said that they were driving in their car together and Kennedy began to ask him questions. He said, uh, Billy... Do you believe that there's a second coming? Billy Graham said, absolutely, I believe in a second coming. And he said, "Um, well, does my church believe in a second coming? Because you may know that Kennedy was Catholic. And Billy Graham says, well, it's part of their creed that they believe in a second coming. And Kennedy said, but they don't tell us much about it. I've I've never heard them talk much about it. Can, Can you tell me? I'd like to know your thoughts. And so Billy Graham began telling John F. Kennedy about The Bible telling about Jesus coming, his life, his teachings, his death, burial, and resurrection. And that someday Jesus said that he would return again. And then Graham looked at Kennedy and said, when that happens, um, for the first time, there will be peace on earth. And Kennedy said, that's really interesting. I'd love to hear more about that sometime. Can we talk again? And, And Graham said, absolutely. Well, a few years go by. It's the prayer breakfast at 1963, and they're together again, and and Billy Graham is sick. He's got a fever. He's got the flu, and he doesn't feel well. It's a cold day. And after the prayer breakfast, Kennedy asked him, he says, Billy, can can we talk? And he said, Mr. President, I I would love to talk with you, but I I don't feel very good. It's cold out here. I've got a fever. I've, I've got the flu. I don't want you to get it. Can we just talk another time? And he said that Kennedy very graciously said, Absolutely. We'll get to get together another time and talk. And as as President Kennedy was walking away, he paused at his car door. He turned around as if to say something and then got in the car and, and drove away. Later that year, John F. Kennedy was killed and Billy Graham couldn't help but think whether he had missed an opportunity. And for a long time after that, he struggled with this regret. If I had just talked with him, if I had maybe listened to the questions that he had or the concerns that he had, I wonder if his life may have ended differently or what could have happened or did I miss an opportunity that God had laid there before me to share the good news of Jesus Christ with John F. Kennedy. And it was something that he regretted the rest of his life. I don't know about you, but I think that all of us deal with this thing, this idea of regret, where there are things that we have said, things that we have done in our life that just kind of hangs on. And we think about it and we wish that we could go back and change it or not have said that thing or done something differently. It's interesting, a study came out years ago that said, when you're young, the thing that you regret are the things that you've done. As you get older, the things that you regret are the things that you didn't do. And many of us have those regrets today. And many of us find that as we get older in life that we get stuck sometimes looking backward, wishing that things could be different. Uh, In 1954, there was a guy by the name of Roger Bannister who was running a race. And for the first time in human history that we know of, the four-minute mile was broken. Uh, It was amazing. It was a a mental block that many runners had that this four-minute mile was impossible. But once Roger Bannister broke it, then a number of people began to run four-minute miles. In fact, in uh, 19... 
54, two months after Roger Bannister broke the record, John Landy eclipsed his record by 1.4 seconds. And so on August 7th, they decided of 1954 to have this epic race between the two men who were the pioneers of running the four-minute mile. And as they ran, it was neck and neck the whole way. And on the last turn, Landry was, uh, Landy was leading Bannister, but he couldn't escape this question. I wonder where Roger is. I wonder how close he is. And so he took just a second to look behind him. And in that moment, Roger Bannister passed him and won the race. After the race was over, Landy told the Time Magazine reporter, if I hadn't looked back, I would have run the race. Now, what if I could tell you today that regardless of where you are, regardless of your past, regardless of the mistakes you've made, regardless of what you wish you could change, that today you have the potential and the ability through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to stop looking behind you, to stop looking at the past, to let the grace of Jesus define you, not your mistakes and your missteps. What if I told you that redemption was possible in your life? You know, the thing I love about the Bible is that it's just been painted by authors who are brutally honest about the lives of the heroes of faith. One of the reasons that we believe the Bible is true because it doesn't paint these people as saints who never make mistakes, who who live perfect lives, who always say the right things. In fact, the Bible instead tells us about our heroes and the people of our faith who live life, who made mistakes. We get to see their warts, their sins, their innermost thoughts that are evil. We get to see their mistakes in living color HD, high definition. And it's astounding that these people that God chose were such screw-ups who were made such incredible mistakes. And we see in Scripture that they wrecked relationships, they cheated their families, that they dishonored friends, and most importantly and most heartbreakingly, They dishonored their God at times. So let me ask you, have you ever been there? Do you know what it's like to make a mistake and wonder, why did I do that? Why would I say that? How could I dishonor my Lord that way? Have you ever done something, maybe it was today or yesterday or last week, that continues to haunt you, to keep you up at night, and you've wondered, how in the world could I allow myself to fall into such a stupid situation? And I don't know that God can ever redeem me. I mean, how do you redeem mistakes that change the trajectory of your life? But the great thing about Scripture is there are so many comeback stories of people who are down and out that God used to do incredible things. You may ever watch the Rocky movies growing up. Man, I used to love Rocky. Here's a picture of him right here. Not not that Rocky. Can Go to the next one. There, that Rocky. Anybody ever watched that Rocky picture growing up? I used to love Rocky. It seemed like Rocky spent more time on the mat on his back than he did winning championships. Here is a guy that got knocked down, got beat up, got constantly pummeled, who always kept getting back up regardless of his opponent because he had this inner thing inside of him that drove him to greatness. Here's the thing, friends. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if you've been knocked down, if you've been beaten up, if you've made mistakes, if you wish you could have a do-over, if your life is not the picture of the life that you wish that you had lived, there is hope. And we are going to see that 
today in the story of the first Rocky that I ever heard of. Now, it's not Rocky and Bullwinkle. It's not Rocky Balboa. But 2,000 years ago in the Bible, there's a story about a guy by the name of Rocky. Now, you may not remember that. It may not come. You can look in your concordance. You won't find his name listed as Rocky. We know him as a, by the name of Peter. His name was originally Simon. But Jesus kind of gives him this nickname of Peter or Petrus. And he calls him the Rock. And you can call him Rocky for short. Now, we know a lot about this guy. He was one of Jesus' three best friends. Everything we know about him leads me to believe that he was a tough guy. When I picture him in my mind's eye, I see this guy with broad shoulders and calloused hands and a weather-beaten face. I mean, back in Indiana, we would talk about this guy being farm strong. You know what I mean by that? He has had this natural strength because he'd worked with his hands all of his life. He was a fisherman, so he was pulling nets out of the water filled with fish. He was rowing boats. He was fighting the winds and the seas. We'll never know exactly how physically big he was, but the one thing we know is that his heart was huge. And he wore his heart on his sleeve and he led with his heart. Peter was bold, man. He was that guy that when someone said something, he thought fast on his feet and he had an answer ready. Some people would call that opinionated. Now, I don't know where you are today, but if you are watching this, do you know anybody that's opinionated? Now would not be a good time to look at your spouse or your roommate. If you don't know anybody that you think is opinionated, it's probably you. Rocky was an opinionated guy. You remember one day Jesus is walking with his 12 best friends and he says, you know, a lot of people are saying a lot of things about me. A lot of people are are talking about who I might be. And he says to his friends, who do you say that I am? And Peter, he doesn't take a public opinion poll or do a focus group. He just says what everybody else is probably thinking, but he says it quickly. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I can just see Jesus with this huge smile on his face and He told the rock, rock, you are blessed. And it's on this rock solid truth that I am the Messiah, that I am going to build my church. And friends, Peter must have felt good inside because he was given the nickname of the rock by the son of God. At least he thought he was the rock. He thought he was strong. But there would come a day when that rock would crumble Some of you may know the story. Jesus and his disciples are sharing a final meal of the Passover in this place that we call the upper room. And Judas gets up to leave and then Jesus tells his friends, hey guys, let's go pray in the garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to need you to pray for me. And so they all go out to the garden and Jesus turns to his friends and he says, this very night, all of you are going to fall away on account of me. And the rock is there and he's like, Jesus, look, all these other clowns, I mean, don't tell them I called them clowns, but all these other guys, they may turn away from you. They may run, but I'm not running. I'm the rock. I am here with you. I am bold. I am courageous and I am your best friend. And there's no way that I will crumble in the face of pressure. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. You're not going to stand up for me. 
Peter says, no way, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will go there. I'm willing to lay down my life for you because I am the rock. I am rock solid. I'm not going to crumble in the face of pressure. You know, friends, sometimes the most staggering failures in life are the ones that we thought we would never make or things that we never thought would happen to us because we are incapable of it. And when we do fall into those snares, those traps, those bad decisions, we kind of lose our way a little bit. And we wonder, is there any way back from this? I mean, how can God ever redeem this? How can God ever use me again? How can God use me after my failures, after my, um, my colossal collapses? Well, maybe if that's where you are today, I want you to know that God has you listening to this for a reason. Because there's no one who's irredeemable. There's no one that's without hope. There's no place that you can go that is so far that God can't reach you still. There is no depth so deep that he can't pull you out of. There is no night that is so dark that he can't bring light into. And friends, if you feel like you are a failure and you have lost your way, let me tell you that Jesus can redeem you. And we're going to see that in the life of Peter today. The rock that Jesus reclaims. You remember what happens after Peter brags about being the rock to Jesus. Jesus is arrested in the garden. Peter pulls out a sword. He cuts off Malchus's ear, the, the servant of the high priest. Jesus stoops down, picks back up the ear and puts it back on. And Peter's like, what are you doing? You're destroying everything that I'm trying to do here, Jesus. And Jesus is like, this isn't the way this is going to go down. And then all of the disciples flee, all of them, including Peter. This isn't the way they thought this was going to go down. And we don't know a lot about what happens, but we know that as Jesus is taken away, that two of his best friends, two of his disciples follow him from a distance, John and Peter. And we know that there are illegal trials that take place. And we know that John is there. And we also read that Peter is there. And John, in his biography of Jesus or his gospel of Jesus, which just simply means good news, tells us an interesting fact. He says that they were sitting by a charcoal fire. And that's so important to how this story is going to play out. Now, people begin to notice Peter. I mean, think about it. He was bold. He was brash. He was outspoken. He was physically strong. He was always with Jesus. I imagine that he had a lot to say to a lot of people because that's just how Peter was. And so people begin to recognize him. Hey, weren't you with this guy? Aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you one of his followers? Peter's like, no, 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 you, you got this all wrong. I'm not with him at all. And people begin, continue to ask him. And finally, he gets so angry that he begins to cuss at his accusers. And then the rooster crows. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Friends, see this moment in your mind's eye. Feel the sinking realization that you have just betrayed your best friend, the Messiah, the Son of God, everything that you say that you believed in. And we read in Matthew that suddenly Jesus' words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And then we read this. And he went away weeping bitterly. You know how the rest of the story plays out. Jesus is beaten. He's taken to the cross. He's crucified. He dies for the sins of humanity. They're only a group of women and John, his cousin, who's also his best friend. One of his best friends is at the cross. And Peter can't face what he's done. He can't face his failures. He doesn't know what to say, but then all of a sudden words begin to spread that Jesus has risen from the grave. We read in, in, in the biography that John writes that Peter and John, as soon as they hear that Jesus has risen from the grave, take off in a race. And 
John very humbly tells us that he beats Peter to the, the tomb and he is there looking in the window. But it's Peter who steps through the doorway into the tomb first because he's bold. And I can just imagine the elation that he feels. And then all of the sudden, the heartbreaking reality of what he feels. Jesus is alive. And he knows I failed him. You know what I think kept Peter up at night? Failure, regret, embarrassment. Have you been there? Have you said something that you wish you could take back? Have you done something you wish you had a do-over? I think that some of you are thinking to yourself today, I've messed up so badly, I don't know how God can put this together. The beauty of God is that he takes broken pieces of glass and makes beautiful mosaics from it. But some of you are wondering how you can rebuild. I've destroyed my relationship with my spouse I've hurt my kids so bad that they're never going to talk to me again. I've betrayed my best friend. I've broken God's heart. How can I ever get off the mat again? But that's the beauty of the story because Peter through Jesus is going to give us a treasure map. And it truly is a treasure to finding redemption. The first thing we need to do when we have had a falling or a failure of epic proportions or regrets that we live with is we need to, to face it. Because it's easy just to run away from it and not, and not deal with it and not face it and pretend like it doesn't exist. But we read in John chapter 21 that Peter's on a fishing boat with his buddies. That's what they did. They fished and when they needed to get some things off their mind and just relax a little bit and decompress, they would go fishing. And Peter is in this fishing boat with, their, with his buddies and they're 100 yards offshore. It's around sunrise and they see this figure dimly on the beach. The guy on the beach yells out to him, have, have you caught any fish? No, not really. We've been fishing all night. And we haven't found anything. He said, why don't you throw your, your net on the other side of the boat? And so they do that. And the net fills with 153 large fish. And John tells us that he's the first to, to see this. And all of a sudden he remembers that the exact same thing happened three years ago when Jesus first called him to them to follow him. And just as he starts to tell them, he, he starts to say, Peter, it's the Lord. Peter is already jumping overboard and he's swimming towards Jesus. And I love this picture as I see it out of my mind. Peter standing ankle deep in the water. Waves are crashing around him. His chest is heaving from swimming so fast. His hair is matted and water is dripping off of his beard. And there is Jesus standing there by a charcoal fire. And all of a sudden, the elation and the hope is lost in the dismay and the disheartening truth of his actions. And John, as he's writing this, he's reminding us of how bittersweet this reunion must have been for Peter. The charcoal fire, the bitter embers, the, the reminders of failure. And it must have come rushing back to him, the sight, the smell, the sickness. And did he 
think in his mind's eye, I need to leave. I need to get out of here. I've, I've betrayed him. There's no way he can forgive me. There's no way I can make this right because that's how we deal with embarrassment and regret and hurt. It's easier for us just to walk away than to deal with the truth and reality of what we've done. Because it's so much easier to run away than it is to face our failures. When my dad was just about six years old, uh, he had a, a really good friend. Back then, there was this game called marbles. And you had to have really cool marbles. And, you know, it's kind of like Pokemon things now. You find the best one you can find. I don't play Pokemon. But, you know, my dad would go to the store and they'd buy these bags of marbles and it'd be really cool. Well, his friend saw this really cool marble. And he's like, hey, Mike, why don't we just uh, take one? My dad said, well, I don't, I don't, my, you know, I don't do that. I have money. I just don't have money right now. He said, well, we got to pay for this. He said, we need these marbles. This is the coolest marble you're ever going to see. It's going to be gone. And he convinced my dad to steal the marble. And they went home that night. And um, my dad started feeling bad about what he had done. And so he... Um, told my grandpa, who was a pastor and uh, also a World War II veteran, he was a chaplain in the army, what he had done. And uh, my dad said, look, just take all my money. You take it to the store, pay for it. We'll be good to go, dad. Um, but my grandpa said, that's not the way that this is going to go down. He said, you're going to go and you're going to tell the manager of the store what you have done. You're going to give him back the marble and you're going to give him the money anyway. Because it's hard to face our failures, but it's such an important lesson for us. And part of the healing process, part of getting right with God is facing up to what we've done and saying, Lord, this is who I am, spots and all. This is what I've said. This is what I've done. This is, these were my actions. And I need to just tell you, I need to get it off my chest. I need to be transparent with you. And so there Peter stands looking through the smoke once again, his eyes locked with the eyes of Jesus. And let me remind you who the, whose eyes he is looking into. He was looking to the eyes. He was looking into the eyes of his friend who he had betrayed. He was looking into the eyes of a man who still had puncture marks on his forehead from the crowns of thorns. He was looking into the eyes of a man who still had nail marks on his hands and his feet. Peter was looking into the eyes of the one who had died for the sin and failure that Peter had engaged in. And on that day, standing there on that beach, looking into the eyes of Jesus, he was also looking into the hope-filled eyes of a resurrected Lord who had already paid for those sins, who had already forgiven him and wanted to redeem him and rescue him and get him right again. And Peter had a choice to either live with his regret, live with his failures, to allow that to define him or to own it. And we read this beautiful story where Jesus says, Peter do you love me with the love of God? Peter said, I love you like a friend. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me with the love of God? And Peter said, I love you like a friend. And Jesus said to him, do you even love me like a friend? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I do. Three times for the three betrayals, the three times that Jesus, Peter rejected Jesus Jesus gives him a chance to be redeemed in those moments. Third thing is today, you face it, you own it, and then you let it go. Peter had a decision to make to hold on to his failures and let it define his life. 
or make peace with it and move on with his life. Here's a truth worth remembering. You can't change your past, but you can change your present and you can change your future. I love what the great theologian, Dr. Seuss said when he wrote, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. That day, Peter chose grace. What are you going to do today? Are you going to accept the grace that Jesus has to offer you? Are you going to own it? Are you going to face it? Are you going to make it right? Are you going to allow your past to remain in the past? Or are you going to allow it to drown you and drag you down and steal the joy that God wants you to have in the life that he has called you to live? What are you going to choose? Because God loves to use broken things to do great things. And the guy who thought God was through with him went on to become one of the greatest, biggest difference makers who ever walked the planet. And so what do you think that Peter would want to share with us today? I think he would tell us if a guy like me can rise up from the ashes where I've been, you too can rise up because God loves you. You can rise up from your shame. You can rise up from your depression. You can rise up from your hopelessness. You can rise up from your addictions. You can rise up from your guilt. You can rise up from your regret. You can rise up from your failures. You can rise up out of the darkness and you can run to the light of Jesus. But the choice is yours. You have to decide today. Are you going to live in your past? Or are you going to live in your present with the future of a God who has restored you, redeemed you and wants to make you whole? First Peter chapter one, verses three through four says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. You know who wrote that? A fisherman wrote that 2000 years ago who once went by the nickname of Rocky, who fell apart in the pressure situation as his strength crumbled and who would live to live again as a man with a calling, who understand grace in a much more powerful way and who taught grace and mercy in a much more powerful way. For when we fall, we suddenly begin to realize how other people can fall. And when we've experienced grace and mercy, we too can help other people experience that grace and mercy. So where are you going to live today? How are you going to choose to live? Are you going to allow your past to define you by your mistakes and failures? Or are you going to allow Jesus Christ to redefine you in a powerful way and to live out the plans that he has for your life? You get to choose. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your love and your grace. Today, we pray for your strength. We pray for hope. We pray for redemption. God, we pray that you wouldn't allow the enemy to whisper in our ears anymore, but that you would remind us who we are in you. That God, that you would take away our shame, our guilt, our regret, our brokenness, our hopelessness, and that you would replace it with the idea and the knowledge that we serve a a redeemer who gives and gives and gives and redeems and redeems and redeems. And we have hope in you. So Lord, help us to live brave. Help us to live courageously. Help us to live strong. Help us to live changed lives as we walk with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.